Greetings in our Lord Jesus Christ and welcome to Christ Church of Livingston County Teaching Ministry. Christ Church is a member of the Communion of Reformed Evangelical Churches, Tyndale Presbytery. The following audio recording is from a Covenant Renewal Liturgy at Christ Church. We trust you will be edified and ministered to by the Holy Spirit through this audio recording. Our call to confession today comes from Proverbs chapter 15, verse 31. The ear that hears the rebukes of life will abide among the wise. We talked just a bit about the rebukes of life. Usually the rebukes of life are not always lessons that we take so well. God's admonishment is not always a straightforward trip to the woodshed or an ordinary uh, talking to with the wooden spoon. They are often, in God's grace, shown to us in the ordinary things of life. It is God working through the way that he has made the world. For example, if we spend more than we make, this leads to calamity, financial calamity. Another everyday rebuke that can come to us is through our human relationships. It's almost always the case that our first response to anyone who questions our words or our actions is to defend ourselves and to deny any wrongdoing on our part. This is especially true within our households. Sometimes we figuratively bump into one another or are put in situations where our own self-centeredness shows through brightly. Sometimes through members of our own family we are confronted with questions that convict us of our own sin. And by God's grace, the Holy Spirit convicts us and we are rebuked. Then we have the opportunity to either reject this rebuke of life or to hear it and, again, and gain the wisdom that the Proverbs teach us here. This may remind us of our own situations where the rebukes of life have convicted us and of our own sin, and we must confess them. So I invite you where you are, if you're willing, if you're able, please kneel where you are. And I'll pray for you. And we'll uh, have silence. text for this morning's message is taken from 1 Corinthians 12, beginning at verse 12. The Apostle Paul writes, The body is a unit, though it is made up of many parts. And though all its parts are many, they form one body. For we were all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free. And we were all given the one spirit to drink. Now the body is not made up of one part, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has arranged the parts of the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. May the Lord bless our time in his word this morning. Please be seated. <clears throat> 
Well, I bring you greetings from your brothers and sisters in Christ from Cornerstone Evangelical Presbyterian Church in Brighton, and it's a delight to be back again with you. This Sunday is, in the church calendar year, the Sunday of Epiphany, and Pastor Hemke said, can you bring a message regarding Epiphany? And I said, absolutely. Um, Epiphany means appearance or presentation. And the season of Epiphany, in the next several weeks, will be part of that season, uh, celebrates uh, the ways in which Christ appeared to the world, how he is presented to the world by his miracles, by his words, but also, and this is where we'll focus this morning, through his body, the church. Christ's appearance to the world begins with his presentation to the Magi, to the wise men. Often the miracles of Christ are preached on during this season, as well as the presentation of Christ to the world through the church. There's a poem by Howard Thurman, who is the former dean of the chapel at Boston University, that captures the role of the church in presenting Christ to the world very well. And it's called Doing the Work of Christmas. He writes, When the song of the angels is stilled, when the star in the sky is gone, When the kings and princes are home and when the shepherds are back with their flock, the work of Christmas begins. To find the lost, to heal the broken, to feed the hungry, to release the prisoner, to rebuild the nations, to bring peace among brothers, to make music in the heart. So that's our focus this morning. What is our role as the church, as a local church body in presenting Christ to the world. What we have here in this text from 1 Corinthians 12 is an analogy between the human body and the body of Christ, the church. And this analogy illustrates how the various members and functions can be united, brought together to demonstrate Christ's glory to the world. And the first thing Paul teaches us in this passage is that the church is one of the vital ways in which Christ is presented to the world. God himself established the church as the embodiment of Christ. In verse 18, Paul writes, But now God has placed the members, each one of them, in the body just as he desired. And then in verse 27, Paul says, Now you are the body, the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. And I think it's right at this point that you and I often misunderstand God's intent. We think that our participation in the church body is one of our own voluntary association. By choosing to associate with the church, I can somehow round out my individual faith so that it doesn't become too individualistic. And if I don't do that, well, then that's going to be my loss. Or if things get too busy in my life or too difficult, I can back off from my involvement with the church and I can be independent for a while. But Paul says, not so. He says, God placed you in a church body, not in isolation. And your participation in that body is required if the church is going to effectively present Christ to the world. He says the body is a unit in verse 12, though it is made up of many parts. 
And though all of its parts are many, they form one body. So it is with Christ. One of the other places we often look to as we look at the gifts that God has given through the Holy Spirit is in Ephesians 4 at verse 16, where Paul says that the Holy Spirit gives each believer gifts to use for the building up of the body. Faith, helping, encouraging, giving, teaching, hospitality, discernment, administering, preaching, healing. And Paul says that Christ is the head of the body. And so in Ephesians 4:16 it says from him, from Christ, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. That's a good part to highlight as each part does its work. Your involvement is crucial to the whole picture of who Christ is. God's design is not for Christians to be merely involved in an individually oriented, privatized religion um, consisting of people functioning independently of each other. No, instead, by his appointment, each one of us has been placed in a church, given gifts to function corporately as a unified whole, orchestrated by God, equipped by God, to be the visualization of Christ to the world. So if you choose not to participate, your decision doesn't just affect you. The fact is it's the whole body of Christ that misses out. And if you don't play that part, if you don't live out the role that God has given to you specifically in this church body here at Christ Church, then the, the reality is that the representation of Christ to the world through the church is going to be less than what it should be. Let's just think of some other analogies. Can you imagine how your car would have run this morning if the spark plug saw their role as voluntary? Or think about how your body would operate if your kidneys or lungs only functioned when they felt like it. Or what about a surgery team who performs a heart bypass and the perfusionist who runs the bypass machines decides it's not the day to show up. There's something better to do. The goal that Jesus has for his followers is that we would become a unified body so that the world would see him as the one sent by God and as the one loved by God. That was his high priestly prayer in John's Gospel. He said, may they be one as we are, Father. May they be brought to complete unity in order to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. And so that's why in Ephesians, Paul, uh, Ephesians 1, Paul says that the church is Christ's body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. If an outsider came to church this morning and observe your role in the next few weeks, your role as a part of Christ Church, how would he describe it? If he were to use an analogy to some part of the human body, what would he guess your role to be? For some of us, it would be easy to see, right? If you're playing the keyboard, if you're leading up front, for others, it would be harder to see. And for some people, I think the role would be maybe compared to 
the appendix. And the reason I say that is because the medical profession really hasn't figured out so far what the role of the appendix is. I won't ask for a show of hands, but I'm, some of you here today, I'm sure, have had your appendix removed, or you know someone in your family or in your, your friendship circle that have had their appendix and removed, and they can go right on functioning without it. That is not what God wants our role to be in the church, right? He wants us to have a defined role, visible or less visible, but a specific role to carry out, and he says that all the parts serve a vital function. There is no appendix, I think, in the body of Christ. Now, I maybe get corrected when we get to heaven. We'll see <laughs> yeah, what happens with that. But God has placed us into a body. He's given the concrete goal to use our gifts to the benefit of the body so that Christ will be presented to the world around us. And so that means it isn't a, a voluntary association. No, he says, you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. Well, still using this analogy of the human body, Paul goes on to point out that a healthy body cannot exist without diversity. And that diversity involves greater and lesser members. But all are necessary for the body's functioning. So Paul can say in his letter to the Ephesians, from Christ, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, that's us, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. I remember back in 2000, 2001, I was uh, skiing for the first time with my youngest daughter at Mount Brighton. She was finally old enough. And so we were going down the very first run, and she was between my skis and uh, we were snow plowing together. And suddenly, I don't know how it happened, but her skis, instead of going this way, started going that way, like a V, instead of an upside down V. So my skis started going that way. And so my legs got further and further apart, and we were going so slow I couldn't pull out of it. And finally I thought, well, I'm almost ready to sit down anyway. We've just gotten further and further. And suddenly I heard this pop, 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 and the three ligaments in my right knee blew out and suddenly I had no ACL, no LCL, no MCL and it was like a string from my knee down and the rest of my leg was just swinging in the breeze. And I learned how important Paul's words are that each supporting ligament needs to do its work in the body of Christ. Without that we cannot represent Christ to the world. So Paul points out two things here to show how significant each one of us is in the body of Christ. Two things that we should never forget. First is that the exercise of the more visible or seemingly more important gifts, and here's the important word, the exercise of those alone cannot properly present Christ to the world. You see, what happened in Corinth, and what happens still today, is that rather than receiving the gifts given by God with humility and with thanksgiving, sometimes we see them as rewards or expressions of God's appreciation. And then that leads to us feeling superior and giving us a false sense of independence from the rest of the church body. So Paul writes in verse 21, The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. 
Why does Paul dismiss any feelings of superiority as inappropriate? Well, first of all, no matter how important any one part of the body may be, no functioning body can be formed from that alone. In verse 17, he says, if the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? So the bottom line is that each one of us has to learn to accept that any one of us alone cannot present Christ to the world. You alone are not and can never be the full representation of Christ to the world. We need one another in the body of Christ. We cannot alone be the full embodiment of Christ. Nobody's a whole chain, right? They're, each one's a link. You take away one link, the chain is broken. Nobody is a whole team in themselves. Each one is a player, and if you take players away, the game ends up eventually being forfeited. In the same way, the analogy of an orchestra. There's all kinds of people, uh, musicians, were there with their instruments, but if you take some away, then the symphony is incomplete. Even if God has gifted you in the area of leadership, or administering, or teaching, or the more visible roles, the more prominent roles, you have to realize that the greater parts cannot constitute a healthy body without the lesser ones. Bodies need feet as well as hands, ears as well as eyes. Yesterday we had good friends uh, come and visit us from the western side of the state. Uh, we have been friends ever since I went to seminary, which let me tell you that was a long, long time ago, back uh, 1980. And uh, while I was in seminary, my friend Richard uh, was doing his uh, oh, what do you call that now? I'm trying to think. He, he was doing his first fellowship. He, he had already been to medical school, and he became a cardiac surgeon. And I had always had the, the dream of maybe watching an operation sometime. And so we were uh, visiting once when they were, uh, they were living in Illinois at the time, and uh, we were spending Thanksgiving. And I said, gee, I wish I could watch you operate sometime. My dad had had a heart bypass, so I knew that that was a very possible reality in my life some years down the road, and I thought maybe I would do better if I could actually see what goes on. And so he said, well, I've got a quadruple bypass tomorrow morning. Let's, let's do it. I said, great. So the next morning we came and we walked in. I thought I would be in some gallery looking down. Um, instead, we, we came in, the whole team was already there. They had already removed uh, the, the veins and they were, they were moving ahead. And they got out a stool and I stood right at the head of this person. I was looking down and there, there he was, asleep obviously, under anesthesia. And I, I marveled uh, in that next block of time to see this whole team function. Yes, Richard, as the, as the head surgeon, was calling the shots. But he wasn't in that operating room alone. No, not at all. He had, he had nurses, he had people assisting him, he had the person running the bypass machine. There was one person whose role was simply to count to make sure that any sponges or tools that went into the body would come out of the body so there wouldn't be any surprises later. And I realized that the success of that operation counted on each part doing its work. If Richard had gone in there and brought me along to observe and no one else was there, there would not have been anything to see because he needed all those people involved in that room in order. And in, and in the same way, the body of Christ 
has definitely people in leadership roles and more prominent or visible roles, but they are only part of the whole. The whole is needed, absolutely, in order to present Christ to the world. The second thing, though, is this that we often forget, that the exercise of the less visible or less important gifts, seemingly less important, is just as essential. And this is addressed to those who are feeling inferior when it comes to the passing out of the gifts. You know, the people who feel that, well, the gifts that I received were more like the things coming from Kohl's or maybe from Target. But then uh, these people over here, they got the ones coming from Saks Fifth Avenue or Neiman Marcus or, or Macy's or whatever. Um, and in turn, that leads to feeling inferior and the conclusion that I guess I don't belong to the body because I don't have those more prominent gifts. Paul describes that dynamic as the foot that says to the hand or an ear, uh, that, 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 excuse me, a foot that wants to be a hand instead of a foot or an ear that wants to be an eye instead of an ear. And so as we look at verse 15, Paul says, if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, cease to be part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, cease to be part of the body. The question is not whether or not there are greater or lesser gifts given to members of the church. In Romans 12, 6, Paul says, we have different gifts according to the grace given us. The question is whether we have the option of doing away with the exercising of the lesser gifts. And the Bible clearly says, no, not at all. Don't ever mistake less visible or even anonymity for unnecessary. If it weren't for the less important gifts, we wouldn't have a bulletin on Sunday morning or lights, or live stream, or people counting the offering, or people hosting Bible studies or meals in their homes. If it weren't for the less important gifts, we wouldn't have people who would bring meals, or transport people to appointments, or visit people in the hospital or at the funeral home. How many lives would be untouched without the exercising of the less visible gifts? One of the most anonymous ministries we have over at Cornerstone Church is a greeting card ministry, and it was started just a few years ago. Someone came and explained what they wanted to do, and we thought it was a great idea, and they collected a group of people. And uh, it's an anonymous group of people, and they get names of people from the pastors uh, who are standing in need of encouragement. And they quietly and consistently reach out to people who are going through maybe the grief following a death or a divorce or maybe uh, a loss of a job and, and they're anxious or maybe they're having struggles in their faith. And so they simply reach out and they share the word of God in a card and pray and they pray for that person as they send that off. Does anybody see them doing it? No. Are they getting all kinds of accolades on Sunday morning from the pastor? No, not at all. Is it making a difference in the body of Christ, in the representation of Christ in the world? Absolutely. Because Jesus himself said, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ, right? So yes, Christ as the head of the body leads. 
and it's his prerogative to publicize some gifts and to hide others. But every part is necessary for Christ's body to function effectively. That means we can't all be elder or deacon or chair a committee or, or play the keyboard on Sunday mornings or be the Bible study teacher. But Jesus said, he who would be greatest among you, let him be your servant. Whatever you do under the least of these, he says, you've done unto me. So that means, in Paul's words, if we find ourselves given the gift to function as a foot, then we put all of our energy into being the best possible foot. But often what we do instead is we pour our energy into trying to be some other part, some other function in the church. And we say, no, I want to be the head. I've got to be the head or it's nothing. And Paul says, no, you're going to set yourself up for disappointment. He says, and, and you're going to end up saying, because I'm a foot and not a hand, I don't belong to the body. But God says, no, not true. You do belong to the body. With the gifts I've given you, as hidden and insignificant as they may appear, you play a vital role in showing forth Christ to the world. And so he says, you would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. This would be a good week as we continue in the season of Epiphany to go back and read Jesus' parable of the talents. Remember how the master gives out talents? And I'm sure you've noticed that he gives out differing amounts of money for his servants to manage. One gets one talent, one gets two, one gets five. And it's very interesting. It says each according to their ability. So they even have different abilities to manage the money. But the same question is asked of each servant at the end. What did you do with it? And to me, that's the ultimate fairness of God. It doesn't matter how much you're given by him. What matters is, do you receive it? And with thanksgiving, do you put it to use? to show forth Christ to the world. The sad thing is that you can spend your whole life striving for visibility and recognition by others. And you may even get it. But then Jesus says, that's all you'll get. Remember how he said, I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. If you're using what God has given you uh, in order to be recognized by others, you will miss out on his reward. And on the other hand, if you take the gifts that God has entrusted to you and pour yourself out before God by serving others, then, Jesus says, your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Some years ago, there was a wonderful book uh, written about World War II called Ghost Soldiers. Maybe some of you read it. Uh, the author's name was Hampton Sides. And he tells the true story from World War II of a rescue attempt made in the Philippines near the end of the war. On January 28, 1945, General Walter Kruger sent 121 troops from the 6th Ranger Battalion to march 30 miles beyond or behind enemy lines to rescue 513 American and British prisoners of war. They had spent three years there in a prison camp. General MacArthur had abandoned the Philippines in March of 1942, and the troops that we had in the Philippines were captured, and they were there then for three years in prison. 
They have endured starvation, tropical diseases without any medication, unspeakable tortures, and for many, the famous Bataan Death March up the Bataan Peninsula. They had died by the thousands in the camp, and now there are only 513 left. And with the coming of the armed forces, because the war was now ending, it was a certainty that the POWs would be executed as one of the final acts of the Japanese. And so it was necessary to somehow infiltrate the camp and rescue the American prisoners before the US Army officially arrived. And so this group of 121 soldiers, led by Lieutenant Colonel Henry Musi, was tasked with the rescue. They knew that they were going to face as many as 8,000 Japanese troops, and there were only 121. Musi had assembled teams of electricians, explosive experts, bazooka teams, those trained in stealth techniques who could sneak up onto the camp, others to set up road barriers, and others to transport the weakened prisoners. The raid took place in less than 30 minutes, and with each man and woman doing his part, the unthinkable was accomplished. It's an amazing story, but it also drives home the point that each person had a role to play. There were all differing levels of skills involved, but when they worked together, the mission was a success. But each one had to do his part. God has given you an assignment here at Christ Church. You're to present Jesus Christ to the world around us. And you're to do it by using the gifts that God has given each one of you according to his leading. As you worship together, as you bear one another's burdens, as you train up godly children, as you encourage each other in your faith, as you teach and disciple one another to grow in your knowledge of the faith, and as you reach out to share the gospel with those in your neighborhoods, your workplaces, your schools, your families. And I challenge you to regard each person here at Christ Church as a vital, integral part of the body, no matter how different or how insignificant they may appear to you. Because it's God who has given you the gifts that you have, and each one of us is called to use those gifts within the church so that Christ can be effectively presented to the community and world around us. And that will cause the world to see Christ, as he says, as the one sent by God and as the one loved by God, the very one who loves them. For you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you that not only you have saved us by grace, by the finished work of Jesus Christ, but that you have, in addition, given us gifts by your Holy Spirit, and you have placed us in a specific local church so that you have then given us an assignment, a task, a role to play as part of that local church. Thank you for counting us worthy enough to be used by you, that as we function together under the headship of Jesus Christ, we can and will show forth Christ to the world around us. We pray 
that in this year of 2021, Christ Church will be a shining light to this community and to the world and be a delight to you according to all that you have ordained for them. And we ask all this in Jesus' name, who taught us to pray to you. first from Colossians chapter 2 verse 20. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why as if you were alive to the world do you submit yourself to regulations according to human precepts and teachings like do not handle, do not taste, and do not touch? As Paul writes here in Colossians, the elementary principles of the old covenant prohibited intimate contact with things of this creation. Don't touch this, don't taste that, don't take that part into your bloodstream. However, with the coming of the Spirit, with incorporation into fellowship with the Trinity, you are no longer so restricted. All foods are clean. Nothing that we touch can defile us. We can be defiled by the sin that comes from our hearts, but for the pure, all things are pure. Because the Spirit has come, the world has become again, the world has again become for us what it was for Adam in the Eden. It has become food. It's a banquet set before us by our Father. This table announces the good news. There are no prohibitions of the law here. We all touch. We all taste. We can all handle. This bread and this wine are holy things for the holy people of God. So come, taste, handle, and touch, and see that the Lord is good. Invited to this table are all who have been baptized and are under the authority of Christ and his body, the church. By eating the bread and drinking the wine together, we're acknowledging that we're sinners, that we're without hope except for the sovereign mercy of God, and that we're trusting in Christ alone for our salvation. So I welcome you to come. Thank you for listening to this audio recording from Christ Church of Livingston County. If you would like further information about anything in this recording, the Bible, about Christ Church of Livingston County, or wish to make any other related inquiry, please feel free to contact us through our website, ChristKirkMI.com. That's C-H-R-I-S-T-K-I-R-K-M-I.com. Again, thank you and blessings.